I need to say one more thing. And uh, it's a little bit of a contrast to what we just shared. But 35 years ago, uh, to this day, something happened. It happened right here on this platform 35 years ago to this day, August 4th. That was the day my wife and I were married on this stage. Isn't that cool? Isn't that cool? I mean, right here, 35, oh my goodness. And she's, she's outside with the, the, the Java team and all this going on out there. If you get a chance to ask, if you know her, say, hey, happy anniversary. And if you don't know her, say, who's, that? who's Cheryl? And, and, and just you know, tell her, smile at her. She's got the sparkle of life in her. You know, she's been an amazing woman. Uh, someone was congratulating us, and I said, thank you. I said, she had the harder job, I think. I really did. <laughs> she did. It's not it's just truth, actually. <laughs> but, you know, I was thinking the message is on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's good. And, and, you know, the thing is, we, we neither one of us grew up in a, uh, a home that we saw our parents stay together. Beyond, I was 12 when my mom and dad you know, separated, and she was just a little bit older. So none of us, we had, neither one of us had seen uh, a home work in, in terms of, you know, raising kids, staying together, staying in love, making our way through the seasons of life, which is going to require. This message today, which is called The Rise to Unity, actually is not only going to talk about the church, but it talks about one of the keys to relational success as well. And there's going to be a principle that we explore. And I'm going to say this. We, we had no, that's what I was trying to get at. No, we're no models, and uh, we're, not, we're not done yet, Lord willing. But the truth is, both of us acknowledged yesterday, we were talking about it, that without the Lord at the center of our lives, it's not a cliche. We, we know for a fact that that, was the, that is the critical piece. That our, what, what, the key for us was that each of us made a commitment to the Lord which was even higher than the commitment we made to each other. And that commitment to Christ has carried the day. And so, you know, I want to just acknowledge that because uh, if it wasn't for the grace of God and for his, his hand and for a genuineness of love, not perfection, but a genuineness of love for the Lord and a desire to want to, to, to get past things that would otherwise create a fissure and divide. So, you know, I, I know some have experienced great pain. I'm not comparing with anything. I'm just saying this idea of unity, it, it has power in Christ. It's real. It works. It works. It can work. So um, that's what I want to say. Okay. I want us to now look at our uh, teaching together. I want us to learn together. I'm going to look at a passage. You know, Rise series has been essentially tracing the birth of the early church through the book of Acts. It's essentially a study through the early part of the book of Acts. And we've been hearing some amazing messages. You know that for sure, Reardon. You know that as well. I was with you last week. We were hearing a great message on, on this idea of suffering, suffering and, and how to work with that. And just these last few weeks, we've been sitting with different you know, lessons from the, the teachings in the book of Acts. And I want to pick up on something. Again, my theme is unity but it's also about how to negotiate division and how to get past things so they don't capture us and tear us apart. 
There's so much wisdom in the scriptures. If our hearts are open, we can learn so much. We can, oh, we can be so much better. Like our cap goes way up when we open ourselves up to the Lord and his wisdom in his word. Okay, in Acts 6 is where we're going to focus. Just a few verses at the opening of Acts 6. The, the, you can follow along. You have your Bibles, your Bible app. Uh, just, you know, just stay focused. Don't wander. Stay focused. And uh, in your handout, of course, that opening verse is not going to necessarily make sense to a lot of us. So if you don't have a background, you're going to look at it, you're going to read it, and we're going to go, What's that? what are they talking about? What is this? Acts 6, verse 1, Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Now, this is a verse, it gives us a fascinating insight into the early church. It reminds us that it was not a perfect institution. The church was not born fully formed. As a, commu- they were, as a community of believers, they had to stay open to the Holy Spirit and continue to make practical adjustments. The truth is, as we are being told here, and I love the fact that the Bible tells us this, it doesn't try to hide the problems. The, the, the way of the Lord is not a dysfunctional way. It's, it's honest. They had a problem. They were all, remember, what, we're about, what we're looking at here, and I'm going to talk about them. These are, all, these are all followers of Jesus. At the very beginning of the church, they're all Jewish. Everybody's ethnically Jewish. But they're culturally different. So the early church community of, of Jewish believers have come to a faith in Christ. But has been, what's happening is they've been living in community and there's a, a fissure that occurs because one group feels that the other one is being given more favor. And the two groups were described as being one, the Hebrews, and the other, the Hellenists. And let me explain what they were. Again, all, all the church was Jewish believers in Jesus. But the, the Hebrews were the people who were more um, parochial. They had, they had grown up in Jerusalem, in Judea. They spoke Hebrew, Aramaic. They were more culturally and ethnically Jews. They had come to faith. They were local. They were, in a sense, very deeply rooted in their Jewish heritage. The Hellenists were also Jewish people, but they were people who had been living in the exile. As many of us know, the Jewish people had been scattered to different parts of the world. The world at that time spoke a common language, at least the known world, the Roman world. The language they spoke, which was kind of like the English of our day, was Greek. It was common Greek. So like we would go to different countries today, you can usually get by with English. Most everybody knows a little bit of English. That would have been the case with, with the Roman world, they, Greek was the most common language of trade, of business. And so many of the Jewish, Jewish believers in the early church had grown up in a different culture. They were Jewish, but they were very Hellenized. That is, they had been affected by Greco-Roman culture. They were very at ease intermixing with Gentiles, and that's how they did business. Their first language was Greek, not Hebrew. So you had these kind of cultural differences, even though ethnically everybody's the same. And they all had made a commitment to follow Jesus, believing the message of Christ, that he was indeed the savior of the world, the Messiah, the promised one. But they have a division. And it's interesting because it says here that the Hebrew widows, it was the feeling that they were getting more attention than the, than the Hellenist widows. And so there was a, ironically, it's kind of like a, uh, very similar. You know what's interesting is that things haven't changed that much. <laughs> the argument here is around this word, equality. 
right here. And the early church is experiencing a division. I mean, it's amazing how things never change. I mean, they were saying, there's a lack of equality here. You're giving more treatment to the local people than to those of us who come, who have more, you know, Greek background and culturally different than you. We feel like we're not being treated equally. And the insinuation was that one segment of, again, of the community was given favor. And you gotta remember now, there were no government programs, there was no social security, there was no, um, that was a big deal, no disability, no, no life insurance, nothing. You, you, things we take for kind of for granted in our culture, right? You have these things, they're kind of fallbacks. Imagine if none of that existed. And in some places in the world, it doesn't. And in those places, it makes total sense why their situation is almost identical to what's going on here. You rely on your family, and you rely on your community. Those two things become far more important when there's no government programs to fall back onto. It becomes huge. And, in the, and that's one of the reasons why you'll read, when you're reading the Bible, you'll see things mentioned about pure religion. Is this an undefiled? I'm quoting from the book of James. In fact, I'll have them, if they can put it up. James, it says this, that pure religion is this and undefiled. Right, that you, you care for the orphans. Look at that, orphans and the widows. See how important it was? It's undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble. And to, but a lot of times people forget the second part of that verse. Live counterculturally and stay unspotted from the world. In other words, don't let the world shape us into a way of thinking that excludes God and is disconnected from our morality and ethics. So both are there. But the reason that's referred to in the early church is because that was the community. If the community did not take and embrace the orphan without a parent and the widow without any way of surviving, if she didn't have a family, then what would happen? The church was to fill that gap. Again, that's why that verse is there. Now, it's very interesting. Now, if we can, it, this is what happens, okay? I just wanted you to have the background. What happens here is a division arises over what is a perceived disparity, right? And the fragile unity of the church is at stake. So prayerfully, the leadership make a decision. And you, we read about it in verse 2. Look what it says there. Follow with me. It says, in the 12, that is the 12 apostles, summoned the full number of the disciples, brought together, and they had a, they had a, a gathering, a community gathering. And they said, it is not right. They had come to a conclusion. They felt like the problem actually wasn't because there was favoritism going on as much as it was an administrative issue. And they took responsibility. Look what it says. It says, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit of wisdom, of whom will appoint this duty but we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. Now, I put a different version there in your handout because I thought the, the, uh, a, a slightly different angle would help us. So look at the bottom there of your handout at the, at the NLT, the New Living Translation there on the bottom of the page there. I'm going to read these four, four verses from that version. It, it'll make, I think, even more sense. It says, but as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. The Greek-speaking believers, there it is, complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying, saying what? That their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. So the 12 called a meeting of all the believers, and they said, we apostles should not, should, actually, we should spend our time teaching the word of God, not, this is interesting, not running a food program. And so brothers, select seven men who are respected and full of spirit. They didn't treat it casually. 
And we will give them this responsibility. And remember, it was a more patriarchal society at that time. So, you know, that it's going to have a little bit more of a, of a male component to it. But the Lord always made room for that shift. Um, and, and the engagement of women becomes one of the great stories of the church. Then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. It, it, it was not because they felt that running a food program was below them. Because Jesus had shown them the foolishness of that type of thinking. It was, listen to me, it was because they had limits. They had priorities. And they had a conviction that they had to focus on their primary responsibility. And we're going to press more into that in a few minutes. But notice what it says there, going back to the top. Pick out some individuals among you, seven who are of good repute, full of the spirit, and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. A couple of things to note here. What the apostles say is this. We need someone to oversee this to create greater peace in the community. The seven men that we're selecting, we need them to, one, they can't be from the outside. They have to be people who are known. Also, we need them to have a, what are the three, do you see three things that are listed there? They have to have, one, a good reputation. What people think did matter. They need to have also a vibrant spiritual life, full of spirit. People with a recognized love for God and a vibrancy to their life with the Lord. And then thirdly, what? A spirit of wisdom. That is, they were to have sanctified common sense and tact. And we will devote, the apostles say, ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Look at verse 5. And, they were, and what they said, that, that sounded good. It pleased the whole community. And they chose Stephen. Do you see that name? That name's going to come up later. Because Stephen is destined to become the first person ever killed for, his, for the faith of Jesus. At the time, they don't know that. They also don't know that one of the men who's going to be holding the clothes while Stephen is martyred is another man who is not a believer in Jesus, but is destined to become the greatest, in terms of impact, follower of Jesus this world has ever known. That is Saul of Tarsus. Becomes Paul. But at the time, it says they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Taman, Parmenas, Nicholas. These are seven men. He was a proselyte of Antioch. It says, then they said, look at this. These they set before the apostles. They prayed. They laid their hands on them. And look what as a result of this reorganization, which is what it was, the word of God continued to increase. Look at verse 7. And the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. The word of God continued to increase. That's a way of saying, the Bible's way of saying the message spread. And the, because of the good adjustment that was made, there was an expansion that occurred. That realignment brings, op, creates even more possibility for people to come to faith. The church grows numerically. And then we're told on a side note that even some of the priests began to embrace Jesus as Messiah and follow in his way. That's what it means when it says became obedient to the faith. So we have to understand something. That when I, and I, I love the fact that the Bible tells us this. Like, you go the, when I realized this was my assignment to preach on these seven verses, I go, ah, I get to preach on the problem in the church, huh? The division. I love the fact that the Bible, not that they had the division, but that the Bible tells us that they did. Because what it does is it strips the veneer off 
of the perception of a perfect church. The reality is, there is no perfect church, right? There is no church that is perfect, and if it, if it was, it stopped being that way the minute we walked in. <laughs> you know why? Because each one of us is an imperfect, flawed person, and we've been, as the scripture says, we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. We all need grace. We will always need grace, and that's the truth. All of us, stuff will come out when the wrong buttons are pushed. We all are capable of hurting ourselves and hurting others. That's the truth, right? You know it. I know it. But it's like I hear, I hear people sometimes say, they'll say to me, when I get my life kind of back in order, you'll see me back at church again. <laughs> and I say, bro, you got it all wrong. <laughs> you come to the church so you can get your life in order. Because we're all finding our way on a journey of faith. We're all growing, and none of us will ever have this totally down. And we all get to have a season of growth in our life with God. Here's one thing I do know. When we make a commitment to truly follow Jesus, we will always be better than what we would have been without him. That's just a fact. Yeah, that's a fact. So we are, we are basically a church full of, uh, full of imperfect people seeking to follow a perfect savior. That's what we are. And that's okay. And it doesn't, by the way, that doesn't mean we shouldn't contend for purity and peace and unity and do our best to be life givers and truly love one another, but neither should we, this is what I gotta say, we shouldn't be disillusioned by problems. I mean, we got a, we got a, a holy experiment going on. Where else do you see this? So many different people of different backgrounds, different ethnicities, different educational backgrounds, right? Different socioeconomics coming together with love for one another based around a shared faith in Christ and have experienced the transformational touch of his life in us, causing us to want to love one another and be better. How good is that? I've noted, you know, I've noticed that, that sometimes when problems hit a church, and now I've been here many, many decades, had a chance to watch a lot of churches come and go in San Francisco. I've done it here as well. And one of the things I've come to realize is that sometimes problems hit a church, a faith community, and it's so tough. I've, I've watched some people stop following Jesus because, and becoming committed to a church because of problems in the church just like what was going on in the book of Acts. And I understand that some, I do understand this, that some situations are so toxic that, you know, some changes, serious changes need to be made. And, and there may be a time to leave a local church, but never the church. Not if we're, I'll, I'll tell you why, because the scriptures make it clear that every serious believer is to live in community with other believers. It was not only the command of Jesus. It was the undebatable pattern of the early church. And let us be clear that even with its flaws and challenges, the church, the church was God's idea for fallen humanity, right? It is the pattern he set in place, set in place for our well-being and for the sake of the lost. That's, the church is where people come to grow in their faith in the Jesus way. 
That's what happens. It's where people are added to the Lord's way. I look at I was, I was telling, I was saying, you know what, Lord? I was talking to my wife. I said, this is, the truth is, you and I both. I said, hon, you know it and I know it. You know, we think about it. I go, because she was asking me what the message was about. I said, it's about problems in a church, in the church that happen, and how we're going to have problems at times that divide us. And I said, but think about it. You and I both, our lives were altered for the Lord because of church. And church is a place where we can bring people. Right? Our mission statement, to live out our faith in Jesus and invite others into life with him, this is a place to invite people to experience Jesus and then to grow. That's what we're about. Now, here's the thing. One of the things that we're taught here in this passage, and I just want us to kind of get our mind around it, is that there is a value, and I'm talking about our need, to pri- to, to, our need in our life to prioritize around our gifts and our highest leverage contributions. Now I want to talk about life. It's true of a church, too. But do you see what the apostles did? They, they understood correctly. Hear, hear me out. They could not do it all. And neither can we. We have limits. Some of us are a little bit out of whack. We are majoring on the minors. And we are minoring on the major. We're, we're undercutting our best selves by dispersing our energy in too many directions. The key to a growing, thriving life with the Lord is to identify our God-assigned big rocks and tenaciously pursue them as our priority, our seasonal priority in our life. A lot of times we get ourselves too committed in too many directions. We're saying yes to too many things, and we're not really, really seeking the Lord's wisdom on what is the key thing, the key things that we're to be putting our primary amount of energy into, and then tenaciously pursuing it. As a rule, it is important to prioritize our life around our gifts and our highest leverage contributions. As a rule, it is wise to build our life around our gifts and our highest leverage contributions. In other words, we all have something that God gives us that creates impact. As a whole, we are to focus a majority of our energy on what God has gifted us with and how we can use that to bless others. And that means we have to think about our life. You know how many times we just kind of move through life, we're not thinking about the quality of our life. The impact. What I love about what the apostles did here is they looked at, they had a stand a problem. And they, they began to say, look, we, we gotta re, we're getting ourselves too spread out here, and we're, we're, it's taking away from the place that we are called most to pursue. And, 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 we're, and we're supposed to lead this community spiritually, and we're getting dispersed. We need to make a shift here. And that is the perfect lead into the next thing that I wanna say, which is the value of good adjustments. The value of good adjustments. The, the church was not so set in its ways, think about this, that they couldn't adjust. It reminded me of the power of adjustments in our lives, particularly when what we are doing isn't working. You know what I'm saying? There's, there is such a thing as a good idea. And you know what? Many good ideas are born out of dissatisfaction with what isn't working so well. In other words, we have a problem and it, not every, now it's true, not every adjustment in life or business will work. We need to be careful about becoming habitually reactive and restless. I'm going to say a complex thing here. 
there are some times where we are, what we're doing isn't working, and we need to make an adjustment. This can happen in a relationship, can happen in a business, can happen in our personal life. It's like we need to make an adjustment. This, this isn't working right. And this, it, 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 we need to shift some things here. There are times where that is absolutely necessary. And, but then there are other times when we need to like, give something more rope to play out. Some of us are very reactive. We're very restless. Like if it, if it doesn't immediately pay off, you know, then we're on to something else. And we can even say that we have a series of things that we just are constantly correcting here or correcting. We're like, oh, it's not working. I'm going to go do this. It's not working. I'm going to go do that. Right? The next thing you know is we're just always starting something. There are some things that need to be played out that we need to be patient with it. Um, we need to let it, let it be for a bit. But then there are other times where even that, you get to this point where you're going, you know what? I've let this thing play out. It's, i I got to make a change here. I've got to adjust this thing. I was talking to a businessman. He called me. He had taken a leap of faith. Well, he, he emailed me, actually. And it wasn't working. You know, people had told him, you got to take a risk. got to take a risk. Look, not all, that's not always true. There's a balance here. But, but I would say, by and large, some problems are so acute that they won't go away on their own. And, we're, and, and if just by trying harder is not going to solve it. The way I would say it is we need to think of another way. We need to be as much as possible like people who are open and creative and problem solvers. Do you know what God wants us to grow in our capacity to be problem solvers? Creative people. And you cannot be creative when you're filled with anxiety. Ah. It's like if I, that's why one of the main things we need to sometimes do is say, Lord, calm my mind here. Calm my spirit here. Help me to line myself up with your truth. Help me to trust you in this place in my life. Help me to trust you to be open to your creative solutions for me. God, I can't, how can we even see things sometimes when we're racked with anxiety and stress? Be anxious for nothing, the scripture says, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God and the peace of God that passes all understanding shall keep your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. As we align ourselves with his truth, we begin to calm the waters down. Remember, one thing you cannot do, do not fight life. Do not fight life. Not gonna work. Calm it down. Get good counsel. Not all counsel is the same. Why, why do we talk about the, the value of small groups and serving in ministry and living in community and not just being content with being an attender? Why? Because it allows for the building of relationships that create safety to share our life. And when, those, when things hit us, we are not alone. We can get collective wisdom, wisdom that is built in trust and in love, Christ-centered, wise with his words, right? I believe in good counsel. I really do. Um, but some counsel, when it's not really bringing the Lord into it, will actually be counterproductive. The way of the Lord is a way of wisdom. That's why we are to acquaint ourselves with his words. Your word is a light unto my path and a lamp unto my feet. You will show me the way through my life. You allow me to be nimble in my relationships. You allow me to make good adjustments, Lord. You keep me from stumbling lest I fall. You give me the ability to find my way through this. 
there will become times in our lives where it will be so hard, where the heat will be so intense, and where the temptation will be to quit or crumble. But if you build yourself, your life on the rock and on the wisdom of God, what will happen is he will show us how to make adjustments that will bring peace and life and blessing. Okay, third thing I'll point out here is the importance of unity, and there it is. In the church and in relationships. So, <laughs> right? Prioritizing on our, with, on our gifts and our highest leverage contributions. In other words, am I saying yes to the right things? And should I be saying no to a few other things? One, and then on top of that, right, the value of making a good adjustment, aligning myself, making a shift here. If this isn't working, and I've, I need to sometimes make a shift, but a good counsel, a wise shift, not a reckless one. And then on top of that, to pursue, relation, to pursue unity. And what do I mean by that? The, I, I remember as a young leader, I'm going to be really honest with you right here. I was a young leader in the church. And the church was... They, they, it, was, it was a church split, and the church was smaller than just the one service we have here. And they started the church, literally, I wasn't the lead pastor, but I was just beginning to really follow the Lord intensely. And I remember how you had two sides, literally fighting each other in the same little church. I was going, this is a small church. <laughs> and who in the world is going to want to come and join this? So they come in and they have to choose a side. I wanted to see people come to Jesus and I was just so sad by what I saw. It was just so disheartening to me to see a church fighting with one another. And when there is such a division, it is impossible to reach the lost for Jesus. The church was born to grow, but when it, when it, it can't when it's divided. That's why the Bible says to pray for your leaders and to guard the unity of the body. Be a life giver. It's true in our life as well, right? It's true in our life as well. There is a power in unity. I said that at the very beginning of the message. The power of unity. Psalm 133. How good it is for the brethren to dwell together in unity. The psalmist says, that's like the dew on Mount Hermon. It's like the, the oil that came down Aaron's beard. There the Lord has commanded his blessing. The blessing of the Lord when we're, when we're in unity. In a home is in unity is blessing. Blessing. That's where the blessing is. The fissure, the, the, the divide. No, no, no. Find our unity. Last one. Let's make loving one another the highest priority then. And don't miss that last part. <laughs> don't miss that last part. Refuse to be offended. Don't walk around. Oh, man, what do I do in that? Or, you know, people, they'll be critical. Let's not be critical. Be a critical, I don't, no critical person. Stop it. Negative, dude. what's wrong with them? Why don't they do this? They can do this better. Can we be a blesser? Now, I, look, I'm not saying that we're settling for, you know, not pursuing quality. I, I am saying, come on. Let's make loving one another the priority. That's what the Lord taught us. Love one another, and blessed are the unoffended. Oh, man. If you want to be angry at people, you always have a reason. We will always have a reason. You want to be mad at yourself? You always have a reason. Mm -hmm. 
You want to be hurt? You can always find it. Remember, if you focus on the flaw of anything, you destroy his ability to bless you. You focus on, we fo if we focus on the flaw, we hinder its capacity to be the blessing it was meant to be. Stop it. Stop it. Let's focus on him and allow his goodness to be the dominant theme of our life. You know what Jesus said? I love John 13. A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another. Look at each other. You're competing. You love one another as I have loved you. Ah, right? You all sort of love one another. By this shall all people know. You want to know what the badge of the Christian is? Think about that verse. By this shall people know that you are my disciples. By the love you show to one another. That's your badge, the badge of love for one another. Let that be the dominant rule in our heart, in our home, love of God, in my home, love of God, in our church, love of God. Let us rise up to the command, rise up into unity. That's what the Lord wants for all of us. Keep my heart, listen, last thing, last of the last. <laughs> Keep our hearts aligned in peace in the Lord. I'm really big on this thing. The more we fight something, the more powerful it is. Align our heart with God. Keep our attitude in a good place. Stay focused on the goodness of God and the love of God, not on the flaws, on his goodness. And allow that to be the dominant theme of our life. You'll see blessing flying all around us, everywhere. Surely, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Amen. All right. Lord, we want to just ask you to take these words, uh, bring life to, to them, water them in our heart. I don't know what part was meant to connect. I don't know. You know. You know us better than we know ourselves. You see everything, every dark place. Everything, nothing hidden from you. I know you love us. You call us upward, upward. Freedom in your name, Lord. Life in your name. Blessing in your name. Spirit and in soul and in body. I pray it over all, all of us, Lord. The life of Jesus flow as we align ourselves in a spirit of unity and love in Christ. Let your light shine through our lives. I ask you to bless our time of giving. I know, Lord, a lot of us are giving differently these days, but we want to honor you. That's our church. We, we commit ourselves to it. And then we ask you to just be with us in the closing song as well so we can sit with what we've just heard and just enjoy you together in these closing minutes. But I ask that we would have a better life, that we would, th this season of our life would be, be we, would, we would hear your wisdom for a living and then seek to align ourselves in the way that allows for your blessing to flow. And I mean that, life evermore. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. amen.